Well, I want you to turn in your Bible over to Romans chapter 13 as we continue going through our series here in Romans. And uh, this is going to be a, a very interesting, um, you know, we talk about that the Bible is a relevant book. Well, I think you're going to find incredible relevancy in the scriptures today as we continue talking about really living out our salvation here in the book of Romans. And I've entitled this today, A Biblical View of Government. Now, we really would have never thought in terms of that or hoped we would never think in terms of that as being any kind of a challenge in these United States of America, but we are coming into days when things are, the conflicts seem to be increasing between church, between the things of God and the things of those in government. The concept of government is an inescapable fact of life. As a matter of fact, God is the one who created and ordained government, whether civil, whether family, whether church. In every area of life, there is government. And this brings order. When it is followed properly, it brings order to society and to life. Government is the concept of authority and management over something. In other words, somebody has the responsibility to govern, to manage And let me say this, to manage God's way over something. And so uh, that is very important. Now, let me just lay a foundation as we get to chapter 13, because we need to step back. Uh, Chapter 13, does it stand on its own? It does in a sense, but in another sense, it's within a broader context. So yes, these things are true that we're going to see, but yet at the same time, they're not the ultimate authority, if I could put it that way. And I think we'll see that in our text as we go through. God is the ultimate authority over all authorities. Okay? God created us. He is the boss. He is the ultimate. Okay? One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, there is supposed to be authority, and there is supposed to be submission to that authority. As I already mentioned, whether it's civil, whether it's family, whether it's church, you know, in in the home, the husband's over uh, the head of the wife, the parents are over the children, in the workplace, the employers over the employees, in government, we have government officials and they are supposed to govern properly over the people. In church, you've got the pastor and you've got the leadership, the elders, and they're to govern the church according to scripture. What does this do? This brings order to society. We need that. We need government, okay? The opposite of government would be anarchy, which would be chaos. No government, everybody just doing whatever they wanted to do with no order. That's not a good situation. So government is absolutely necessary. And while we as Christians are citizens of heaven, according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, we are also, of course, citizens of these United States, if you live in America, or wherever you live for that matter. And so we have a responsibility to government authorities. You might say, what if they're not saved? We still have a responsibility towards them, as the scriptures say. However, that is not a limitless concept. And that is what we need to see today, especially in the days that we are living. And as I look at my watch, we're talking about May 10th, 2020. You might say, wait a minute, your watch tells time. Well, I got the little, 
you know, before, before the Apple Watch, I have the, the watch where you've got the day and date inside the little window there. So that's how I know the date so quickly. Anyways, Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Paul wrote this when the world that he was living in was under Roman rule, okay? Now, a lot of people don't understand Rome, Uh, Rome had a lot of corruption to it, a lot of perversion. Rome had a lot of wrong things with it, but Rome did have some things in civil government that were right, right according to the principles of Scripture. Now, I'm not going to dissect that. That's not the point of the message. But what I'm saying, though, is this. Paul is writing this, and he's writing to believers, and he's telling them, guys, we have a responsibility. We need to be subject in submission unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And so let's break this down. Now, let me say, if you're going to write me on this, hear the whole message before you you do that, because we're going to see the biblical balance of these things. But the first point today is this, our God-ordained responsibility as citizens, okay? We're going to look at our God-ordained responsibility here. We are to be in submission to those in government authority. Why? Because they, according to verse 1, they have been put there by God. No one is above the law, except God. Now that's a key concept as we are going to unpack this today. Now, let me say this. With that being true, in other words, we are to be in submission to those in government authorities because they're put there by God. That being true, this doesn't mean that the law of our government is above the law of God. Now this is important to understand. Yes, we as believers have a dual citizenship. Here, and in heaven. But that heavenly citizenship takes precedent over our earthly one. That doesn't mean we're anti-American. As a matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, the most pro-American people that we have in our country are those who are true Bible-believing Christians who believe in proper law, who believe in obedience to authority, who believe in executing proper judgment on those who are lawbreakers and those who go against the laws of our land. And that's very important. So this doesn't mean that the law of our government is above the law of God, nor does it mean that what evil people in government do is ordained by God. In other words, yes, we are supposed to be in submission to government, but if the government wants us to do something evil, no, we're not supposed to be in submission to that. Now, there's no conflict between the two. Why? Because man is a sinner, man has a free will, and a person could, can receive authority from God in whichever realm they have governing authorities. It could be, it could be the home, it could be the place of work they can abuse that authority and handle it in a proper way and ask believers to do things that are contrary to what God says. Well, now we're, we're in a dilemma, aren't we? Between government and God. Which way do you go? Well, stay tuned as we go through here. We must understand and accept the fact that God is the one who gave government its authority. All right? Now, I've touched on that already, but I'm going to repeat it because it's a very important point. 
We must understand and accept the fact that God is the one who gave government its authority. No government official stands on his own authority. God has allowed him to have that authority. God has entrusted him to have that authority. Now, I know I'm a realist, and I know that, that probably the majority of government officials, this is not necessarily the first thing on their mind. They're thinking in terms of, uh, you know, okay, I'm, I'm kind of the head of this, and I'm going to, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Every person in authority should be asking the question, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Because that's the only way you are going to govern properly. And by the way, this idea of government goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We see in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, where capital punishment, yes, capital punishment, was instituted by God and he expected it to be carried out under the proper circumstances. Genesis 9, 6, it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. That's government. Government. God says if a man sheds innocent blood, if he murders somebody, people are supposed to take his life. Those people would be those governing, okay? This is a type of government. Now, it may have been, in a sense, in a, in a primitive state. Nevertheless, it is true, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, back to Romans chapter 13 and verse 2 on the back of verse one, again, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Verse two, whosoever therefore resisteth the power. In other words, you, you range yourself against it. You stand against that power, that authority. Resisteth the ordinance of God and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, and that word damnation simply means judgment. So the second point is this. God will judge those who go against government, but let me add this, as we're going to see, this fits the context and it fits the Bible. God will judge those who go against government for no biblical reason, okay? No biblical reason. In other words, it is, it is not a conflict of our convictions and what the Bible says, it's simply that we, we don't want to obey. We don't want to obey, all right? Romans chapter 13, verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Do you see that? To the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power, the authority? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. I'll give you an example. Policemen or state troopers here in our state. If I'm following the speed limit, I'm on, on the highway and I'm following the speed limit, and let's say I see a, a state trooper on the interstate and he's parked sideways, you know what that means. They got their radar gun and they're, and they're checking things, okay? I don't need to be afraid of him that he's going to uh, pull me over and give me a ticket and all if I'm obeying the laws of the land. Now, the laws of the land, they're not contrary to what the Bible teaches. Therefore, I need to obey them. And if I don't obey them, I, yes, I should pay the price for breaking the law, all right? But if I'm following the law, I don't need to be afraid of the law because, or the enforcer of the law, because I'm going according 
to the law. Their job is to enforce the law so that it is safe for society. Respect the law and them, and the Bible says they will think well of you. They will appreciate the citizenship of those who are law-abiding citizens, and we as Christians believe in being law-abiding citizens. Again, there's, there's, no, there's no reason to be afraid of them if we're doing what is right, okay? And I believe this, that the best citizens a country will ever have are the dedicated believers in that society. Now, let me say this, though. We don't live in a perfect world. And, uh, you know, as our nation was founded, and, and I, I got to take a minute to talk about this. Our nation was founded on the word of God. As a matter of fact, our nation, the reason our nation was founded was for the reason, foundational reason of freedom of religion, freedom of worship. This was a driver, okay? This is really the foundation that is there. It is a critical foundation for our nation. And some in our government today, whereas this has never been an issue, some in our government today are acting unlawfully towards churches, all right? We have the situation even right now in the state of Minnesota. Now, now I'll tell you what, we pray for our governor, and uh, that is a tough job, and I would not want to be a government official at this time with COVID-19 and all that's going on with this. This has been a hard time, and, and I appreciate the fact that they want to protect uh, the population and people and, and so forth, but it is a, an overstep of authority when you start treading on issues that have to do with the First Amendment to our Constitution. Okay? This is not a good situation. And I understand it's probably, there are probably secular minds trying to find out what can we do to deal with this virus or, or what the health concern that they have. But when you deem places of worship as non-essential, okay, I want you to think about that. According to who is it non-essential? It is not non-essential to God. As a matter of fact, if there's anything essential in the mind of God, it is freedom of worship. It is foundation to our nation, foundational to our nation. It is foundational to our heritage as a country. This is a, an incredibly important part of our nation. And that's not my opinion only. It is my opinion. It's my conviction more than my opinion. But it's also foundational as, as far as the, the, how our whole constitution has been wired and put together, all right? To say we are non-essential and to say, well, you are not allowed under government order to meet as a church, friends, this is just not right biblically. And this is a very serious issue that we're facing. From the beginning of the church age, believers met for worship even when it was against the law. Now understand this. This is the way it was under Rome. As persecution for the Christian church ramped up, it became a criminal offense for you to be a believer. And what the churches do, they still found ways to worship. Why? Because it was a conviction that they received from God. It was part of what God wanted them to do. And therefore, it was an issue of even though they did not want to go against the law of Rome, it was an issue of, no, we have a higher accountability to God himself. 
This is the way it was under Rome. This is the way it is in places like China today. The believers in China are not allowed to worship together. They are not allowed to meet. So then, are they not meeting? No, they are meeting, even though they understand they may have to pay the price for that. Why? Because they are dealing with a godless government, a government that is, does not respect the ways of God, a government that thinks it is God, if there was a God. Of course, when you're dealing with atheists, they say there is no God except them. But that is really what you're dealing with. And so what do the Chinese believers do? Well, they meet. They find secret places to meet. It's called an underground church, all right? What about Saudi Arabia today? Do you know you're not even allowed to have a Bible in Saudi Arabia today? Do you know that it's, it's a death sentence if you were to promote and propagate Christianity in Saudi Arabia? Friend, that's the way it is. But what if you're a Christian in Saudi Arabia? What do you do? Do you not follow the word of God? If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have to follow the word of God. And I didn't say if you're saved, I said if you're a disciple, that's a saved person who wants to follow scripture. No, we see this. And of course, we see this in other countries as well, such as Iran and other places. This is a very serious issue. And we would have never really thought in our lifetime or hoped in our lifetime that we would see such a thing as this in these United States. Now, Look with me to Hebrews chapter 5, because you may be asked, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, not Hebrews 5, Hebrews 10, excuse me. Turn there with me, and it says this. Now, I want you to remember the context. Hebrews 10, verse 25, this was written in a day when there was no printing press, so people did not have Bibles. This was written in a day where there was no internet, so if you couldn't meet in person, you could always stream online. And God's word says this, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, the assembling of ourselves together. By the way, did you know that the word church means assembly? It means assembly. The word church, ecclesia, it means a called out assembly. It's not talking about just individual believers all over the globe. It's talking about people coming together not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Paul talked about the, uh, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, the last time he saw them, in verse 28, he told them that they were supposed to feed the church of God. They were supposed to feed the church of God. Now the word feed there means shepherd, Okay, but obviously a shepherd's feed the sheep. And so let me ask you this. If we did not have the internet, how would we feed the church of God? How would we do that? Well, the truth of it is we wouldn't. We couldn't. Unless, now I'm talking about if we couldn't meet as a church, okay? How could we do it if we didn't have the internet? Well, we couldn't do it unless we said, you know what, we just have to do this. We have to go buy this. It isn't, that's not, churches that are doing that, they're not criminal. You might say, well, the, the people have, the government officials have, have put down orders. Friends, listen, the ultimate authority is God. This is foundational to our nation, all right? They took this, the believers, down through history, took this so seriously 
that they were willing to die for it. Okay? That's serious. I know this is, you might say, what's this have to do with Mother's Day? Well, actually, if you see it down the road, it could. All right? But anyways, they took it so seriously that they were willing to die for God. Thank God we even have in the Constitution of the United States, as I've already mentioned, our First Amendment. First Amendment. A clear statement concerning this issue. Listen carefully, friend. This is the law of the land. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Did you catch that? Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise thereof or of religion or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Okay, unquote. Now that is taken word for word out of the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment. First Amendment rights. This is a serious thing. You see, our founding forefathers, they understood the importance of the God of the Bible in everyday life. And it made it very clear, listen, we, no laws are going to be set up. None of this is going to be set up that will infringe on those freedoms because they knew the importance of it. But can I tell you this, going to church or having church or whatever, that's not just the only thing. There are also other areas where it could come down to it where we have to choose what we are going to do. Let me, let me give you one uh, in light of the family. What about the corporal discipline of children? Yes, I'm talking about spanking. All right? Now, I know there are places it's against the law to spank in America. It's against the law. In most places, it's not. Child abuse, yes, we're not for child abuse, but the idea of spanking, being taken to court because you spank your child. God is the ultimate authority, and he made it very clear that this is part of the process of training up your children properly. Corporal discipline, okay? Parents have a God-given right and responsibility to spank their children. Who says? God says. While our state says, your state is not above God. God is above all. And so when government authority wants you to go against scripture, you have to, with the right spirit, with a humble spirit, prayerfully, you're still going to have to obey God. At least you should. This is God-ordained. Now, there are many situations that I could bring up that deal with this kind of thing. And I'm going to talk more about a couple examples in just a minute, okay? Which leads us to our third point. And some of these things are intertwined already. So we've covered a little bit of this already. But the third point I want to mention is this. It's very simply put. Our first allegiance is to God. Our first allegiance is to God. What about if government wants us to do something that is clearly against the Bible? Is it ever right to disobey government? The answer to that is yes, it is. Our allegiance is first to the Lord, but we should do it again in a respectful way as much as possible. Giving reasons and humility why we are going to do what we're going to do, 
But if we are going to, as Bible-believing Christians, follow the Scripture, if a day comes to where government wants us to go in a different direction than what God wants, we have to respectfully say, I have to follow God. I have to follow God. You might say, what if you get thrown in jail? You have to follow God. This is the way it is. Now again, I hate to think that we are living in a day when this is more and more becoming an issue and, and we, are, we are seeing this, okay? I believe it's a growing problem in our nation. You might say, any other examples? I'll give you one, very simply. What about forcing, forcing a pro-life doctor to commit an abortion? And he says, I will not do it. I will not do it. Now you might say, well, that's his conviction. Our people make the mistake. Well, he, he's strong in his opinion. No, friend, his conviction, I think it's more than an opinion, his conviction is based on the word of God. God is the one that says every life is precious. God is the one that says that that conceived being in the womb is a human being. And it, it, it doesn't become a human being when it's out of the womb. It's a human being from conception. We ought to obey God rather than men. It isn't that we don't want to obey man. It's that when man has a heinous, evil idea, we say, I can't go along with that. I have to do it God's way. Okay? Now, those who are in office need to understand that we will be loyal to them as long as they do not ask us to do something that is clearly contrary to the Bible. It has nothing to do with being a Democrat or Republican. Please, I'm so sick of it, aren't you? God is our father, and he is the one who instituted government in the first place. And so those in government need to understand they are going to give an account to God one day for how they governed. And it isn't just a subjective thing or an emotional thing. God isn't going to say, well, I know you tried hard. You blew it. You were totally against the principles of my word, but you tried hard. And no, friend, it will be all judgment according to John chapter 12. All judgment is according to the word of God. All judgment. And so they need to know the word of God and they need to fear God enough to where they are going to govern responsibly, biblically, or at least in not in violation of the truths of scripture. See, we answer first to him. Let me give you another example. Go with me over to Acts chapter five. As we are talking today, it sounds funny, as we're talking today about submission to authority, you cannot biblically cover this topic without covering the issue of civil disobedience. And that's really what we're talking about. From a Christian point of view, we're not talking about you don't like a law, so you rebel. No, no. If a law is not contrary to scripture, we need to obey it. In Acts chapter five, We see the apostles, the church, by the way, just recently has been birthed. And in Acts chapter five, the apostles are are witnessing the Jewish government officials. They come because Christianity was contrary to what those in Judaism were believing about Jesus being the Messiah and so forth. So they came and uh, there was all kinds of problems. The apostles got arrested. They're thrown in jail by the authorities. And it says in Acts chapter five, So they're in jail, and then they're brought to the council, the high priest, okay? They're they're brought to the the Jewish leadership, 
And it says in Acts 5, 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name, the name of Jesus? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. They weren't trying to be rebels. They're responsible citizens. However, when it comes to the word of God, a Christian has the responsibility to obey God if it comes down to those kind of conflicts. And we certainly hope that those conflicts never come up. We won't go there because of time. Daniel, what about Daniel? Forbidden to pray, okay? What did he do? He prayed. He did it just like he did it every day. So those who hated him came, they got him. They threw him in in jail, then they put him in the lion's den. Of course, God protected him there, but God delivered him. But you notice what Daniel did? Now, Daniel was a model citizen. If anybody was a model citizen, read the book of Daniel up to that point. I mean, he was was the best of the best. He was a great man. Everybody realized how great he was. But when it came down to it, he wasn't going to pray to a false god. He was only going to pray to the one true God, and he was going to pray. What about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They would not bow down. And what did they say? You know, you know what, king? We're going to do what we need to do. And if we die, we die. And if we don't die, great. But we are going to obey God. And that's exactly what they did. They weren't nasty about it, but they stood on their conviction. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 13 in verse 4. And then we continue talking about what government is all about. Okay, what government is all about. Now try not to laugh. When you think of where we're at today and the, the different things that government is doing that have absolutely nothing to do with God's ordained plan for them. By the way, government is supposed to be simple. Romans thirteen four, For he, the government official, is the minister of God to thee for good. Government official, did you hear that? You are the minister of God The servant, that's what the word minister means. You are the servant of God to the people to do them good. And the good is defined by what is in the Bible. But if thou do that which is evil, okay, if we as believers do that which is evil, in other words, contrary to laws that don't go contrary to scripture, we should be afraid. For he, the government official, Beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, the servant of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now you notice the standard for punishment in verse 4. The word is used twice in verse 4. Do you see it? It's the word evil. Evil. Not good. If you do evil, that's wicked. And it's defined by God, again, he is the one who defines what evil is. Then yes, a person, if they do evil, they should be punished by the government. But if they don't do evil, they should not be punished by the government. And so what do we see? Number four, we see the purpose of government, and it is twofold. First, to protect the people from evil, national security. And secondly, to punish evildoers. 
Now, that's the whole purpose of government. Did you know that, by the way, that's the whole purpose of government? It's not a welfare state. It's not all the stuff that it has become, this monstrosity that no one can tame, that is trillions of dollars in debt. Why? Because they've gotten involved in way more than it was ever planned by God for government to be involved in. Government has two responsibilities, to protect the people from evil and to punish the evildoers. That's it. Everything else is left up to people to treat each other right. All right? If they don't, if they do evil, they should be punished. If they don't do evil, they should be left alone. By the way, and responsible for themselves. Very important. Hold your place again. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter talked about this. Remember, Paul and Peter living under same same time frame, all right? Under Rome, Paul, of course, was martyred in Rome. Peter died. He was crucified, he himself, under Rome, whether it was in Rome or not. We don't know that for sure. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says this to those of us who are believers, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Do you see it? There it is again. It's Peter saying the same thing that Paul did. Why? Because they're being... They're under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's a like-mindedness in that. So we submit to every ordinance of man, yet that's not a blanket submission because Peter said we ought to obey God rather than men when it comes down to those situations. Unto governors is unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. That is part of the function of government. And for the praise of them that do well. So government officials ought to be praising the law-abiding citizens as well. Now back to Romans 13. Number five is this. When we obey as believers, we are being obedient to our heavenly Father. Okay? Now I think that's what verse five is referring to. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Again, when we obey as believers, we are being obedient to our heavenly Father. When we are obedient to our Heavenly Father, what is the result of that? What's at the end of verse 5? We have a clean conscience. We have a clear conscience. This is the fruit of obedience, a clear conscience. When we sin, we become convicted. Okay. And that's the way God made us. Verse 6. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. In other words, it is right for us to pay taxes. Why? So government will do its job. Well, what is the job of government? To protect the people from evil and to punish evildoers. Now, obviously, if we're having to pay taxes for them to do it, that's a full-time job for some people. Why? Because we live in a corrupt world. And so I don't have a problem and you shouldn't have a problem because the Bible says we are supposed to pay our taxes to support government to do its job, which is to protect people from evil and to punish evildoers. That is what we're supposed to do. You might say, well, well, wait, but I'm paying taxes and they're doing all this other stuff. Yeah, I understand that, but they're also still doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's part of it. At least they're supposed to be. So we need to pay 
taxes, all right? Which leads us to our sixth point. When we pay our taxes, it supports our government so that they can do their job. Now, this doesn't mean that there is not abuse, and it doesn't mean there's not a massive waste of money, and the abuse being them taking the taxes and using it for things that are contrary to Scripture. I get that, all right? I get that. Not one penny should go to perverted, twisted purposes, such as the killing of unborn babies. Not one penny should go to that. Well, how do you deal with that? How do you fix it? We know it's happening. How do you fix it? The way you fix it is by voting for people who will not stand for that and get enough people in government authority to when these issues come up, these things are voted down or they're voted out. They're not allowed to exist in a society that was founded on the word of God. The only way you can fix it is through proper channels. Our first responsibility though, is to obey the law. Verse seven, render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, both of those are types of taxes, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law of God. Now, people look at verse eight and they say, well, see that uh, you can't have any debt. No, it's not saying you can't have any debt. What it's saying is this, don't be in a situation where you are constantly in debt. All right. That's what it's saying. Don't let your debts remain outstanding. Now be careful about debt because remember the borrower is servant to the lender. You might say, no, 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 no. The Bible teaches you can't have any any debt. Now, I probably shouldn't take the time to go there, but very quickly. Are you quick with your Bible? Go with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42. I don't believe it's saying you can't have any debt because in Matthew 5:42, it tells us that we can lend to other people. You might say, well, yeah, but that's you lending to them. But wait a minute. If nobody can have any debt according to scripture, then aren't we encouraging people to go against the Bible if we will lend to them? Do you see what I'm saying? Matthew 5, 42, give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow from you. No, be careful. I believe, listen, I believe with all my heart, the best thing to do is be debt free. I believe that. And that is the best way to go. However, if you can handle it and there's a situation where you feel it would be something that you could do and it wouldn't be a problem, it's not, it's not a sin to do it because, again, Matthew 5.42, if it's a sin for me to do it, then why am I causing somebody else to sin if I'll be willing to lend it to them? No, that wouldn't make sense. Now, I think back to Romans 13.8 the point is that phrase is to not stand on its own. Oh, no man, anything. It's connected to the next phrase. In other words, listen, if you have debts, pay those off. Be true to your word. But here's the key. The one debt that will never get paid off is our debt to love one another. That's what he's getting at. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And so when have we completely paid up our debt when it comes to loving one another? Well, that'll never get paid off. That'll never get paid off. Because every day we live, we have to do that or we are to do that with those around us. 
So number seven, according to verse eight, is this. Be true to your commitments. If you have a debt, pay it off according to the, the agreement you made with that party. Friend, I know there are people who disagree with that. Listen, let's not get hung up on that. That's not the main point of the message. The main message, though, is this. We need to understand the proper place of government. And with that in mind, our last point is this. What should, we, what should be our view of elected officials? I'll tell you the first thing we need to do, according to the Bible, is pray for them. Now, that is an act of kindness and love. Pray for government officials. Pray for the ones we disagree with. Pray for the ones we agree with. Pray for the ones we don't know what they believe because they're always changing their mind. Pray for them too. It is not an easy job that they have, and many times their job is thankless. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 2, go there with me. 1 Timothy 2, in verse 1, it says this, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. How about that? How about that? Is that not relevant for the days in which we live? And I say, well, I'm, I'm unhappy with this person, that person, and this government official, and that government official. Let me ask you this, friend. Are you praying for them more than you're expressing your frustration for them? That's convicting. Yeah, it is convicting. We need to be praying for them. Okay? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We need to be praying for those in government authorities. Why? So that they will make right decisions so that we can live a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Not one of conflict to where we're having to go against government authorities and rulings and orders and all this kind of stuff. No, that they'll follow right principle because we are going to follow right principle. Therefore, there'll be no conflict if we both do the same. Now, let me say this, friend. You notice this, who will have all men to be saved. Maybe you're watching today and you don't know where you're going when you die. Let me explain to you for sure how you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die, okay? I I like to use this illustration because it makes it clear. Let's pretend just for a moment this hand represents you and me. We're gonna let this wallet represent all the things that we do wrong. God calls them sin. Here we are, we are all sinners. Why does the world have problems? Because of man's sin. We're all sinners, we sin, we violate God's word, we rebel towards his truths. Every one of us is a sinner, yet God loves us. He hates our sin. God loves us, he hates our sin. Sin is contrary to God. It's a violation of his word. He says if we are going to, because he demands payment for sin, the wages of sin is death. If we are going to pay for our own sin, we would have to spend forever separated from God in hell. The Bible tells us we can't get into heaven with even one sin. We are sinners. Heaven's perfect. We are not. So then what are we going to do? We're separated from God. Well, most people say religion will get you to heaven. No. Good works, going to church, being baptized, all these things, giving money. No. No good works will pay for sin. The Bible says this, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
What does that mean you're saved by grace through faith? Well, grace is God's unmerited favor towards us. And faith is talking about faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us when he died on the cross. See, here we are as sinners, unable to save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. This hand represents him. He came into the world. He went to the cross. He took our sin, our sin, upon himself. He had none of his own. He took it. He made that payment. He was buried. He rose from the grave three days later. He says this, that if you will believe that he has paid for your sin, the moment you do, that sin is forgiven. You are cleansed. You are washed, and he gives you everlasting life. You have no sin that's going to be held against you. And when you die, when you die, you'll go to heaven, okay? The moment you believe, the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, he gives you that everlasting life. Jesus put it this way, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath, means you possess right now, everlasting life. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, would you trust in him as your Savior today? I beg you, dear friend, to do that. He's the only way you're going to get to heaven. Your good works can't save you. Another religion can't save you. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way you can get there. Please trust him. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.